This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out. His hand goes down. That's eight. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. In steps Brandon Lau, and he swings at the first pitch and pummels one to deep center. Going back is Green at the wall, and it's gone. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. Welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Andrews Wall. We're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll get together with Rays reliever Colin Pochet to discuss the left-hander's comeback from two Tommy John surgeries and growing up a basketball player as well as a baseball player in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We'll talk with Rays general manager Peter Bendix and get a mid-September check-in from the Tampa Bay front office. We'll sit down with the Rays' new public address announcer, Jason Lycom, and hear about his unique path that took him all the way from Wisconsin to behind the mic in St. Petersburg. Finally, we'll hear from Rays broadcaster Neil Solons live from Camden Yards in Baltimore. And we continue on this week in Rays baseball with our featured guest, Rays reliever Colin Pochet. Colin, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. So this is your third season with the Rays, technically, but you've been with the organization for a few more years than that. How's it been for you so far? I know the team's playing really well. They've had kind of a roller coaster year at the same time, but how has 2023 been for Colin Pochet? Uh, I think it's been good for me personally and, and us as a whole. You know, looking up at where we're at in September, you know, when the season starts, this is where you want to be. We're right in the thick of it right in the thick of the division race. I feel like we're kind of starting to peak at the right time heading into the playoffs, and and I think we're in a good spot. You have 12 wins right now, which is the most in race history for a relief pitcher. You actually have more, two more, in fact, than Shohei Otani. So is this the most amount of wins that you've had since maybe, I don't know, high school? I think so, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, when you're starting, it's a little easier to rack them up, but it can kind of be a little random when you're in the bullpen. But I, I think it just shows... You know that they trust trust me in the closer games, and and it, it says a lot about our team, specifically our offense. That you know, late in games when it's tight, they're still fighting to, to put runs on the board. And then you know, when we do get that lead, the guys after me, you know, whether it's Jason Adam or Pete in the eighth and ninth inning, are, are able to lock it down and give us the win for a team. Is that something you're paying attention to, though? The amount of victories that you're accumulating. You, you kind of have to, right? Yeah, it, it's kind of a little joke in the bullpen, like a running thing we talk about because it's just pretty unique, but. Uh, like, you know, I, I think what it says about us as a team is kind of more important than, you know, Colin Boucher has 10 wins, basically. Well, what are you happy with right now that you've been doing, and what do you still want to work on, and what are you continuing to work on at this point in the season? Do you have goals still? I do. You know, most of them are, are pretty team-related. I think individually at this point, kind of are where you're at. You're always trying to improve. Uh, for me personally, is just staying in the strike zone as much as possible. That's just a big key to success as for us as a, a team. And I, I think something you know I haven't done as well this year is when I come into the game with other pitchers' runs on of, of not letting those guys score. And so I think maybe lately that's something I've done better. But that's always a big focus as a reliever is because you, you always want to be able to pick up the guy you know after or who comes in. You always want to pick up the guy who's just out there and not let his runner score. And then. You know, if you get pulled out of the game, you want the next guy to try to do the same for you. So I think that's that's something that we usually do pretty well, and, and that's what makes us tight knit as a group down there. Right now the Rays are chasing the Baltimore Orioles, who are having an amazing season as well. Unfortunately, both of you guys are in the same division. And Pete Fairbanks is going to join us here. While we have Pete here... No, I'm not joining. I just want to hear Colin's response. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Colin, I mean, what makes this Rays team so special, especially the bullpen? Um, I think it's just everyone gets along down there. You know, we're, we spend a lot of time out there. Um, obviously, as a bullpen, it's a little unique where 
you know, they kind of just stick you in the outfield away from the team. So we're almost our own little unit out there. But, um, you know, some of the guys we have have been with the organization for a few years now and have been able to, to build that closeness. And, and we use that base for all the new guys who come in. Um, we just have so many, like, good people down there and, and really good teammates that it, it just makes, you know, whoever comes in, it makes them a part of the unit right away. Let's go back to the beginning. You were born in Flower Mound, Texas, which is just outside Dallas. I read you grew up playing basketball, but also some baseball. What was it about baseball, though, for you, and why did you decide to stick with that and not another sport? You know, our basketball team in high school was pretty good. We had, uh, you know, Marcus Smart plays in the NBA. You know, quite a few guys go play D1, some really good basketball players. So I got, I got humbled pretty quickly playing basketball. Uh, and as I started to grow and, you know, just being left-handed, I started to get better at baseball. And I think baseball was always the sport that I probably loved the most. And so uh, that was kind of where my passion was at. And really the only the only real possibility of playing a sport at the next level was, was with baseball. So you've played one-on-one with Marcus Smart before? Uh, we Maybe not one-on-one, but I've had to, you know, try to guard him in practice or try to bring the basketball up the court against him, and it just doesn't go very well. It's, I mean, he's... NBA defensive player in the year, so so you can imagine I had my troubles. <laughs> you went to Marcus High School. Both of you guys did, you and Marcus Smart, and so did Ryan Presley of the Houston mm-hmm. Astros. Are you pretty close with him? I've only met him once or twice, but, uh, you know, I hear a lot of good things about him from the, the coach at Marcus, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of guys who have played with Houston and stuff, and they have a lot of good things to say about him, and obviously you look at the overall body of work of his career, and it's just really impressive. Now, when you were in high school, you were drafted by the Orioles in the fifth round, but you chose to go to Arkansas instead. Round five is pretty high. Was that a difficult decision for you, or was it obvious to go to Fayetteville instead of suiting up for Baltimore? Um, it, it was really difficult. You know, it was something I wanted to do. I wanted to play professional baseball, but um, looking back, I don't think I had a really good idea of what professional baseball entailed and, and you know, what it requires of the player physically, mentally, maturity-wise. I don't, I don't think I was in the right spot for professional baseball at that time. Um, so I, I think in the end I ended up making the right decision, but... But I think at the time, I don't I don't think I knew the exact right reasons. Well, the good news is Arkansas has a pretty good baseball program, right? So you end up going to Fayetteville. But then after your sophomore season, you have Tommy John surgery, right? One of two. And I do want to ask you about those Tommy Johns. But describe your experience up there at the University of Arkansas playing for the Razorbacks. It was great. You know, I loved it. You know, for college baseball, it's as close to the big leagues as you can be. Playing, you know, big stadiums with big crowds. Um, with Arkansas, you fly private to other games, so it's it's pretty big time, and it's something. It was difficult as a freshman to go from playing high school baseball to something, you know, like that where the expectations are so high. Um, but I, I truly enjoyed my time there. It was it was awesome. Then you end up transferring to Dallas Baptist, right? So how did you end up going from Arkansas to there, which? It's not necessarily a step down, but it's certainly a different level of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the SEC is, is what it is. It's pretty widely regarded as the best conference, you know, in the nation for baseball. But, you know, once I got hurt, you know, with baseball, scholarships are so tight. So the scholarship money I had there wasn't wasn't really available going forward. And it was just at that point, you know, I wanted to get into professional baseball, and it was kind of – trying to figure out where my best avenue was and you know coming off rehab not knowing how your stuff's going to look you know cracking a, a starting rotation on an SEC team is going to be difficult so you know went on my visit to DBU um, got to meet the coaches you know at the time Wes Johnson was their pitching coach who's you know been with the twins been with LSU big time pitching coach um, and they just preach development and how they develop they know you know being in Dallas surrounded by big 12 schools you can't recruit out recruit those schools you got to take guys and develop them and and you see the talent they have and um, the focus they have on on developing guys I knew that would be the best place for me to you know ultimately become the best version of myself as a pitcher and it was right in your backyard too so that must have been kind of fun yeah it was nice to uh you know be close to home be able to go home every now and then um be close to the doctor who did my surgery and all the rehab staff there so I think it was really just the perfect situation for me. Another Dallas Baptist Patriot was uh, Ben Zobrist, who also played for the Tampa Bay Rays. Do you know him at all? I do know Ben. Ben is a very awesome guy, as everyone in this organization knows. Um, before I was even with the Rays, he was you know, doing stuff with professional baseball players from DBU, just 
basically assisting them any way they needed, whether it was, you know, financially, housing, support, mental support, you know, support through your faith. So Zobris has been awesome for all the guys who come through there, and he, he continues to kind of pour into that school and everything. And then you were drafted again by the Arizona Diamondbacks, a 14th round pick in 2016. Was that a little disappointing to, to fall from where you were in high school, or did you kind of take it in stride? You know, it was disappointing. Just kind of, I guess, the pedigree of being a high draft pick out of high school and then having a really good year my junior year. You know, I thought I put myself in a position to be drafted higher, but, you know, there's, there's things outside of your control at that point. I was, uh, you know, 22, which is considered older for the draft. I think already having an elbow surgery, there were probably questions about whether I would start or be a reliever. But, you know, at the end of the day is, is uh, once you get into an organization, get into a system, it's all about performing from that point on. You know, looking back at our draft class that year, a lot of the high draft picks, you know, didn't make it or aren't still playing. So it's just one of those things that once you're in the system, you kind of disregard, and it's just who can, you know, play baseball the best. And you moved pretty quickly through the Arizona Diamondbacks system. I remember when I was the voice of the Montgomery Biscuits back in 2018, we were on a trip to Jackson, Tennessee, taking on you guys, the Generals. I think you know it's coming. And then all of a sudden, I see on Twitter that we've acquired this guy, Colin Pochet. And you had made a name for yourself through the first couple of months. I remember the other broadcasters saying, you have to see this Pochet guy. He doesn't allow any, anybody to get on. He strikes out everybody. And I don't think you allowed a single run in double A in your career, which is pretty insane. But you took a video, didn't you, after you found out about the trade, going from one locker room to the other there at the ballpark at Jackson. I did, yeah. One of the more uh, unique situations in my career, um, you know, as a player to be named later. So the trade had already happened. We knew there was a few guys getting sent to Tampa. Um, so we knew it was coming. We didn't know who it would be, but uh, it just so worked out that, you know, I got traded over to Montgomery when, when they were coming in town. So the way the, the clubhouse was set up there in Jackson was I literally packed my bags up I opened two doors and I was with my new team. So it was really unique. It was kind of nice to have a little soft landing with a new team. I was able to, you know, stay at my apartment with everything. I didn't have to pack everything right away, but uh, it helped make the transition pretty smooth. And your old Jackson Generals teammates, they sent you off in style, didn't they, with your car there in the parking lot after the game? They did. They uh, they saran wrapped my car so that I couldn't leave. Which is Toilet funny. paper, wasn't it? Saran wrap and toilet paper. Once I ripped the toilet paper off, I saw the saran wrap underneath, which you know took a good bit of time to get undone. But uh, I thought that was awesome, man. It just—I think it just shows how close guys get in situations like that. You know, you can be with a team for a short amount of time, and guys get close and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people on that team who I still talk to today. You were only a biscuit for two or three games, and then you go immediately up to AAA Durham, and then before you know it, you're in the big leagues. But then. You undergo your second Tommy John surgery. How frustrating was that? And just how difficult is it to come back from Tommy John surgery? Hey, just one of them, let alone two. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, it happened uh, in 2020, you know, right? Maybe two days before opening day of the, you know, 60-game shortened season we were going to play. So it was really hard. You know, I was getting close to being on my first opening day roster. You know, things were looking in a good spot, and then it just kind of pops up out of nowhere. It's one of those things, though, you know, it's a risk that we all know um, is possible, especially if you've already had one, you know, your chances are even higher. Um, but it is hard to come back. You know, the second the second one, the timeline takes longer. The rehab gets pushed back. Um, and I think even physically, you know, meeting with Dr. Meister, one of the things he says is, you know, after your first surgery, we give you guys about a 90% success rate. After your second one, you know, it's typically anywhere from 50 to 55%. So... You know, to hear that in an office where basically you're going to have this surgery, you're going to go through 18 months of rehab, and it's still a 50% chance of, of whether you'll ever be the same pitcher or not, it's just, it's tough to hear. But at the same time, it's also, you know, motivating because it's, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's 50%, but, you know, that, that disregards everything about me personality-wise, work ethic-wise. I think it, it discounts certain things. Um, certain guys are willing to go farther than others, and, and I wasn't. You know, I wasn't going to let that be an excuse for potentially ending my career. I wasn't going to let, you know, a 50% chance decide it. And um, thankfully, we have a very good rehab staff here. They took great care of me throughout the whole process. Basically, anything I needed, they were willing to do, and it ended up working out really well. 
I'm sure it's physically taxing to come back from Tommy John's surgery to rehab from that, but I'm sure it also weighs pretty heavily on you mentally, no? Yeah, I think uh, mentally is probably where it gets to be the hardest. You know, you, you get to a point in your rehab where um, the days are monotonous. You're doing the same things over and over. You, you probably physically feel like you can do more, and they just kind of won't let you. So you, you're kind of stuck in neutral for a while. Um, you know, not not to wish anybody else getting injured, but thankfully there were other guys going through it at that time with me, um, Yanni Chirinos and Jalen Beeks and, and Oliver Drake. We were all rehabbing together. And I think for all of us mentally it was really healthy to kind of have each other in similar situations, being able to talk to each other about it and just, just spend time with each other. Just um, With how everything was set up, it was kind of during COVID, so, you know, we couldn't be around the team as much as guys are now who are rehabbing. So that also made it a little tough was the isolation. But thankfully to have those guys with us, it, it made it go by a little smoother. Well, I think you're one of the success stories. I mean, do you feel like you're pretty much the same guy that you were before the second Tommy John surgery? Um, I do. I do feel really similar. I think each baseball season, you know, you feel a little different. The ball comes out of your hand a little different way. But, um, you know, physically, mentally, and everything, I feel just as strong and just as confident in my abilities as I did before. And last question before I get you out of here. What do you make of the proliferation of all the Tommy John surgeries in the game today? You know, it's a it's a tough question because I don't I don't really think you can ever point to one thing when it, when it comes to these injuries. Um, I think obviously guys throwing harder, throwing harder breaking balls has to play a factor in it. Um, you're just pushing your body to the extreme and you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, just don't throw as hard and you won't get hurt. But it's like if you don't throw hard, you won't, maybe you won't pitch in the big leagues. So there's a big risk-reward factor in there, and I think guys are willing to take the risk to push their body to the limit to, to you know, get to pitch in the big leagues for however long they can. Well, we've really enjoyed talking to you today, Colin Pochet. Thanks again for taking the time. Best of luck the rest. And we'll go to our first break, but when we come back, we'll hear from Rays General Manager Peter Bendix and get a mid-September check-in from the Tampa Bay front office. Plus, we'll check in with Rays public address announcer Jason Lycom, and we'll wrap it all up with Rays broadcaster Neil Solons live from Camden Yards in Baltimore. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. Okay, welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm joined now by the Rays General Manager Peter Bendix. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about where the Rays are right now. Figured we could do a mid-September check-in. We're ramping up towards another postseason, playing the Orioles right now, obviously, but coming off of a really impressive series win at Minnesota that really could have gotten away from them. seems like all the Rays do now is win series, but how are you feeling about where the team is at this juncture in the season? We're really excited. At the beginning of every season, it's something Stu says, and it's something we all believe. We want to play meaningful games in September, and these games are awfully meaningful at this point. We we feel very good about where we are kind of in the division and, and so far this season, and looking ahead into the postseason, it's something that we never take for granted, and to hopefully have another opportunity to play October baseball, that's that's really what you're you're after. That's what we're looking for each year. I know you guys were expecting the team to have a successful 2023 campaign just the way that you built it. It's hard to tell who is going to be your biggest competition, obviously, when the season starts. Are you surprised that that team has turned out to be the Baltimore Orioles of all organizations? I think we are surprised, but I think we also understand and appreciate the amount of talent in that organization, the way that they've been kind of rebuilding and retooling the last few years and the, the just high-quality young talent that they have, we've seen it here firsthand in this franchise how when you build a lot of young talent, it can sometimes come together maybe more quickly than is expected on the outside. So it's hard to be way too surprised about anything. In Minnesota, Jose Siri, the Rays starting center fielder, got hit on his hand, and now he's going to be out for the foreseeable future. Siri has obviously had an amazing season offensively but defensively he has been remarkable also he reminds me a lot of Andrew Jones out there with how nonchalant he is but he gets to all of these hard hit balls in the gaps or in the shallow center what have you 
how big of a loss is, is Jose Siri at this part of the season? And what are the Rays going to do to address that? It looks like Luke Rayleigh and Josh Lowe might be platooning out there for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge loss when you have a, a high-quality defender like Jose, who is also a, a, a power threat at the plate and a speed threat on the bases. That's a really unique combination, and that's very difficult to replace in kind of a one-for-one -one manner. But one of the things that we do pride ourselves in is just the amount of depth that we have and that next-man-up mentality where if somebody like Jose is out for hopefully it's only a few weeks, we've got multiple players who are ready to step in and fill that void. They might have value in different ways than Jose did, but there's still a lot of value that they bring to the table as well. Let's talk about Isak Paredes a little bit. Another guy who was hit on the hand kind of recently, but it looks like he's just fine. I am curious because he is having a sensational season and yet is still flying under the radar somehow. When the Rays traded for Isak Paredes, did you guys expect him to perform like this? It's hard to expect whatever it is, 30 home runs from, from your third baseman, especially somebody who hadn't yet really performed in the big leagues. We did identify that Isak had a lot of kind of foundational components of hitting that were pretty exciting. He's got a great eye. He's got good bats ball ability, and he has good power. I think he's kind of refined his approach under uh, Chad Mottola and our hitting group, worked to kind of get the best out of what he is. And now, as you see, he is able to execute that approach of essentially trying to pull everything. And that's a heck of a lot easier said than done. But his ability to hit, his ability to make adjustments, he'll take the ball to right field with two strikes. He has all of those different components that allows him to take some shots to try to essentially hit home runs to the full side. He's been able to do that a lot while not completely set, selling out for only that. And then let's go back out to the outfield. Josh Lowe has had a terrific season. And I know that when he first came up to the Tampa Bay Rays, he struggled a little bit and maybe was suffering from some imposter syndrome, like, do I belong up here? Well, clearly he does. I mean, he's hitting around 280, if not better than that. There's a good chance he's going to be a 2020 guy before the season is over. How pleased have you been with Josh Lowe's progress this season? Exceptionally pleased. We've seen over the last few years in particular, the jump from AAA to the big leagues. It's a really, really big jump. There are plenty of players who come up and they struggle at first in the big leagues. We saw a lot of it with our own players last year. It's always very impressive to me when a player is able to come up, struggle, make adjustments, and then be able to continue to make those adjustments in the way that we've seen from Josh this year. He's had a little bit of a roller coaster year, which is to be expected with young players. But even in the last month or so, we've seen some really, really exciting adjustments with his ability to hit fastballs that are elevated, his ability to really battle with two strikes. And you see him making adjustments on the fly in a way that he wasn't necessarily able to last year. And that's the mark of real progress for a young hitter. Now it's been a bit of a roller coaster season, a, a bit. I mean, it's been a it's been a roller coaster season to be sure. But circumstances have created some opportunities at the shortstop position for guys like Oslevis Basabe, Taylor Walls, even Vidal Bruhan. How valuable have those guys been though in in filling in? I mean, I remember when Basabe first came up, he got a couple of big hits right away and made the adjustments and. Taylor Walls is just about the best defensive shortstop there is in the game. It's another case of embracing that next man up mentality. And whatever the reasons, whatever the circumstances, if there's an opportunity in front of you, our guys are ready. And you said it, Basabe came up and he has not been overwhelmed at all in the moment. You see the learning curve with him and you see the flashes of what he could be in the future. And you have to remember how young he is, but he's not overwhelmed in his first taste of the big leagues in a pennant race. And that's really hard to teach. And you said it well with Taylor Walls. He really is the best defensive shortstop in baseball. And he's been able to make some adjustments on the offensive side as well. But his defense is just incredibly fun to watch every single day. Let's go back to the pitching staff. You mentioned the next man up mentality. It's hard not to talk about a guy like Zach Littell who started the year in AAA Round Rock in the Texas Rangers organization, then ended up with the Red Sox. Then you guys get him, presumably as a fill-in guy, to eat some innings out of the bullpen. 
And now, flash forward a couple of months, he has been an unbelievable starting pitcher for the Rays. Went eight innings against the Mariners in a one nothing loss. Went seven innings in a loss to Minnesota, but still pitched well, allowing just three runs over uh, those frames. You guys have to be over the moon about what you have in Zach Littell. I'm so incredibly proud of our group and of Zach for what he has been able to do from identifying him as a waiver claim in the first place to then being able to identify some things that he might be able to tweak and unlock to Zach's willingness and openness throughout the entire process to try things that our pitching group suggested to be willing to be put in whatever role the team asked for him and now to really be taking advantage of this opportunity and excelling it's it's a testament truly to our entire group and it's something that that i'm really proud of and really excited for zach and then we have to talk about bob stevenson too i mean what a trade that was also now granted the rays did lose a guy named alika williams who was a talented young shortstop the Rays obviously have a bevy of talented shortstops in their organization, though. So I think you probably felt, well, we can send him up there. And he's been in the big leagues this year. He's now playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. But Bob Stevenson did not have terrific numbers for the Pittsburgh Pirates earlier this season. Obviously, you guys are looking at a bunch of other different things analytically. What did you see in Bob Stevenson? And has he exceeded expectations as well since coming over to the Rays? Well, Bob has been one of the best relievers in baseball since we were acquiring him. And we certainly didn't expect that. It's difficult to expect that from anybody. We did expect that he would be a helpful piece in a bullpen that was struggling at the time. And I think it's no coincidence that around the time that we traded for him and made a couple of other moves, the bullpen has been able to stabilize since then. But again, that's just an incredible testament to Kyle Snyder, to Jorge Moncada, to Winston Doom, to our pitching group. To be able to work with Bob, who's been in the big leagues for five plus years, make a few little tweaks to his slider and to allow him to take off and become a high leverage, impactful guy with us. It's it's really cool. And it's it's no secret that slider has become one of the more devastating pitches, not only for the Rays, but in all of Major League Baseball. And we'll get you out of here on this, Peter Bendix. We have to talk about Yandy Diaz. I mean, what? an unbelievable season he is having. He's playing exceptionally at first base, but at the plate, there's really not another leadoff hitter who is like him. I mean, he doesn't steal bases, obviously. Not that he doesn't run well on the bases, but he just gets on base. He hits when it matters, when in these clutch situations. It seems like every time there's a big moment, he is the one at the plate. What have you made of Yandy Diaz's 2023 campaign? Yandi is an exceptional hitter, and we are seeing him put it all together in a way that is just incredible. He has everything that you want to see at the plate. He can hit any pitch anywhere. He hits the ball as hard as anybody. He doesn't chase out of the zone. He's clutch. He's just a really tough out, and having him at the top of our lineup, it gets things going in the right way. He inevitably seems to come up late in the game in important situations and come through for us. And it sets the tone for the rest of the lineup because you have to work incredibly hard to get him out every time you get through that lineup. And you still have a bunch of really good hitters behind him who have a little bit less pressure on them because they know Yandy's making that pitcher work. Yandy's probably getting on base in the first place. And he really is the tone setter for our lineup. Do you think he's the team MVP this year? We have a lot of team MVPs, but it's hard to argue against Yandi. Mm -hmm. Bonus question for you. Rene Pinto, you guys decided to go with him instead of Francisco Mejia, who was DFA'd, but who's still in the organization with the AAA Durham Bulls. Rene has come through with some huge hits. I'm thinking back to that series against the Seattle Mariners where he hit the game-tying two-run home run, and then he hit another one in Minnesota. And when he gets a hold of one, I feel like they're very – few players who hit the ball as hard as him. Why did you guys decide to go with Rene Pinto or is the proof in the pudding? It's exactly what he's been doing. It, it's a combination of factors and it's always a difficult decision, especially when you have someone like Francisco Mejia, who's meant so much to the organization to, to have to DFA him and, and to go with a younger player. But it is that next man up mentality. And Rene has 
he's got some juice in the bat. We've seen that for sure. There's some things that we really like with him defensively. There's some components that he needs to work on for sure. But overall, he has a lot of different components in a catching package that's really hard to find. And he's still young. He's still getting his feet underneath him. And to see him impact the baseball, turn on the baseball the way that he has, that's been really exciting. Well, Peter Bendix, we thank you so much for your time today on This Week in Rays Baseball. And we'll see you again soon. Let's hope the Rays can uh, punch their ticket to the postseason for a fifth straight year. Thanks for having me, Chris. And we certainly appreciate the time of Rays General Manager Peter Bendix. Coming up, Rays Public Address announcer Jason Lycom. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with a very special guest. It's the Rays public address announcer, Mr. Jason Lycom. Jason, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. And there's the voice right there. We just heard it. Talk about this season. We know that you were hired on July 4th, or that was your first day anyway. You've only been here a little while, like barely two months, but how has the 2023 season been for you? Uh, it's been outstanding. Um, you know, the, the first week was kind of just a whirlwind. I mean, getting to know everybody and getting to know the process here. And then throw on top of that, um, I think one of my first games um, was the All-Star jersey presentation to the guys. Um, And then there was the championship ring presentation for Zach Eflin. And then after that, there was the Wade Boggs Hall of Fame ceremony. So that was all in the first week. So it it was pretty incredible. And it's continued to be that way. Let's talk about what it takes to be a successful public address announcer. It's something that you've been doing for a while, although only for a couple of months with the Tampa Bay Rays, but a lot more goes into it than just reading a piece of paper, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, Preparation, for sure. Um, We're here a couple of hours before game time and going through all of the scripts and and making sure that if there's any hiccups or typos or uh, anything like that, that we get them corrected before we actually have to go live with them. Um, but as your background has a lot to do with it too. It really does. Um, I come from a radio background. Um, so I'm not a stranger to speaking on a microphone in front of a bunch of people. Um, so that helps a lot too, I guess. You're from Wisconsin and we'll get to your background, but how did this all happen? Because I know you were in the minor leagues like me. You were with a team called the Beloit Skycarp. Used to be the Beloit Snappers. They rebranded, so I'm familiar with that team. But how did this all go down? Because you were calling games up there for the Skycarp this year, and now you're calling games at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg. Yeah, that was an interesting turn of events there. Every once in a while, uh, I'm a member of a couple of Facebook groups, and every once in a while somebody posted a job that's open and they're taking auditions. And usually when those jobs are posted, they've already got somebody in mind. Um, let's face it. There's a, a few that have been out there that they ran contests for, but I think they already had their, their person uh, in mind. Um, this one wasn't like that. This, they were really looking for somebody and they were taking auditions. And, and the first thing they wanted was uh, a demo reel. Uh, and I sent them my video of, of a demo reel because while I wasn't looking for a job, I always wanted to be prepared in case something better came came across. So um, I, I sent that in, and to my surprise, I got a phone call. And then there were more audition pieces that we had to do and turn in. And to my surprise again, I got another phone call. And then it you know finally came down to, to where I got the last phone call. And I picked it up, and it was Eric Weisberg. And I thought to myself, this is either going to be a really good call or a really bad call. <laughs> Uh, and it turned out to be really good. Yeah. How does one make a demo reel as a public address announcer, though? I mean, it's not like you're calling play-by-play where it's recorded, right? So how do you go about doing that? You have to look really silly with the people around you. It, it's really a matter of either having somebody record you do what you do or recording it yourself. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, your phone in video selfie mode, and and hopefully you do a few takes that don't get screwed up, and it's real game time, you know, situations. Eventually, you have enough of those built up where you uh, have enough to put a, a demo reel together, and and then when you get the real live audition, you hope that you can perform as well as all of those perfect takes that you put on the demo reel. Were you at all nervous when you were down here for your audition? You know what? A little bit. Um, I I feel like I should have been a little bit more nervous, but in my mind, I made it this far. The hard part is over. Now I just don't need to forget how to read. Mm -hmm. So we were brought down. I think our last uh, audition was to do two real games, and I did a couple when the Rays played the Texas Rangers, and just sitting in that seat and, and looking out over the stadium, it, I, I I felt like I had already done the hard part. So, no, not, I wasn't real nervous at the time. What's the hardest name that you've had to pronounce so far this year? Boy, I, it, it took a while to learn Oslavis Pasave. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, there's there's been a few that don't come to mind. Oh, here's, I mean, one uh, today... Uh, we're, we're, as we play the Mariners, Eugenio Hernandez. It, hey, Eugenio Suarez, right? Uh, Suarez, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. See how hard it is? <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't have a background speaking Spanish, and that's something that I'll work on over the over the off season, of course. But, um, yeah, that went through me. How did you get on with Beloit? I read a story about how I think you were at one of your daughter's basketball games and someone – needed a public address an- announcer for that game. Is is that how it all began? Yeah, in the very beginning, my daughter played basketball in high school. And I don't know, I don't remember if the public address announcer didn't show up or if they just didn't have a volunteer for that night. Um, but I said, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, um, never did it before, but I've heard it done mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so that was probably 14 years ago or so. Um so I did it. They liked it, and I stayed on with that. And I did it for uh, about eight years uh, as both of my kids went through high school. And when they graduated, I stepped away because I thought somebody else should be able to volunteer if they have kids going to high school. And I was away from it for a year. And I called them back, and I said, are you needing somebody? Because I really, really missed it. Um, and from there, I just started blanketing the high schools and the colleges, you know, around my around my home. And again, to my surprise, I got a lot of offers to to do games, and that's where it started. And then, much like the Rays job, the Skycarp job was just an open audition. So that was where I thought, well, maybe maybe I can do this. And how long were you with them? About a year and a half. Um, started with them. Oddly enough, mid-season mm-hmm. of 2021, mm-hmm. um, and then I was with them all of 2022, and then a little bit of 2023. There you go. Well, we know you have a background in radio too. So, is that what you went to school for for college? Yeah, um, graduated with a speech communications degree with an emphasis in radio, TV, film. And I didn't know how I'd ever use it or not, uh, but as it turned out, I got into rock radio. Uh, and I did that for about seven years out of college and then life started happening and I needed something a little more secure. So we, uh, did some cubicle land type work and I got tired of that. And then, um, just started doing my, uh, I also do voiceover work professionally. So that's what I do for a living now. Yeah. Talk about starting that company. How did that all come about and what kind of voiceover work do you do? When I was in radio, um, there were some clients that I did commercials for. Um, when I left radio, I hung on to those clients because they liked the job that I was doing. And I stayed doing commercial work and, and things like that for, gosh, 10, 12 years uh, after that on a part-time basis. Um, uh, up until about five, six years ago or so, Sweetie wasn't comfortable letting me uh, go off and do it full time. So she wanted a steady income coming in. Uh, God bless her, though. I mean, she's she's fully on board now. Um, and I'm doing better now with the voiceover work than I ever did in any kind of real job. I, well, it's a job. I mean, it's a real job. But um, 
but it's not like work at all. I mean, I get up when I want to get up and and uh, do my work, and if I have a two o'clock tea time, I just go golfing. You know, <laughs> you so go. it's it's beautiful. But um, I'm making sure that I'm doing enough, you know, to do my part providing. But your position is also unique here because you don't live in Florida, right? Like you commute to this job from Wisconsin. That's true. Yeah, that's how much I wanted this. Um, I fly into Tampa from Milwaukee um, for homestands. And if there's a short break between homestands, I still stay here. Mm -hmm. Um, At the moment, I'm staying in my in-laws' condo. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a place to stay. Um, So getting to the games is never an issue, and I made sure they knew that before they made their final decision. Um, But we will be uh, getting a place down here. We were going to get a place down here anyway because this area is so wonderful. Um, And it was just a place that we wanted to have uh, a place to stay during the winter. Um, We're not quite to the age where we're going to be snowbirding yet, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of doing it in the opposite direction, I guess. Correct, because you're missing the bad season. If you move down here, you'll miss winter there, but then you got to deal with summers, but... Personally, I think I'd rather be too hot than too cold. I Yeah, there's something to be said for that. Um, but if I stay down here all summer and then all winter, I have connections at home that might have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're still uh, uh, looking after um, my adult kids. You know, they bring their dog over every now and then, and we have to watch them. I got grandkids on the way probably in the next year or so. Um, So, you know, we'll see. But you did grow up in Wisconsin as well. I'm curious, have you always been a baseball fan? And if so, who was your team? I'm guessing the Brewers. Who were your favorite players growing up? Yeah, I I loved um, going to Brewers games. Favorite players growing up, and boy, I can still recite the the, the lineup for the 1979-1980 Brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think my favorite here, here might be my my first foray into public address announcing in my bedroom, hitting a Nerf ball against the wall, uh, announcing Sixto Liscano. Uh, because uh, the public address announcer for the Brewers at the time, his name was Bob Betts. And when I would go to a Brewers game, that was my favorite call uh, when he just let loose on the 6-0 Lascano, and it was it was wonderful. I'm guessing you're a big Bob Euchre fan as well, then. Love Bob yeah. Euchre. It's, it's going to be a sad day sooner or later when he decides to hang it up. But there's just there's nobody else like him. Yeah. The stories that he tells, the the steel trap memory of the details. And I mean, it's, it's really incredible. It's when you're listening to a Brewers game, you're half listening for the game. You're half listening for the entertainment. Well, we so appreciate you taking the time, Jason, like the public address announcer of the Tampa Bay Rays, the new PA announcer for the Tampa Bay Rays. And we can't wait to continue to listen to you. And hopefully we go all the way to the world series. You'll get to call a fall classic your first year down here. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I was really looking forward to some playoff baseball. That looks like it's going to happen. And, boy, the further we could get into October, the better. Thanks again, Jason. You bet. Thank you. We really appreciate Jason Lycom for taking the time to share his journey to becoming the Rays' public address announcer with us. Coming up, we'll go live to Camden Yards in Baltimore and hear from Rays broadcaster Neil Solon. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. And we continue on this week in Rays baseball with Rays broadcaster Neil Solons. We go up to Camden Yards where Neil is live. And, Neil, another big win for the Rays last night, 7-1, to one, a really impressive showing. You've been on this entire road trip. It does feel like the Rays have turned a corner, and it does look like they are starting to play like the team that we saw at the beginning of the season. But what have you seen so far? Um, I just think they've played really good baseball the last month. I I don't know if this series or this road trip is any different. You know, I really just think the last month they've played really good baseball, and I I don't think that has changed. I mean, really, they've played good baseball for all but one month all year, Uh, April and May. I mean, April, the first two weeks were incredible, but other than that, 
you take away July, and this team has been the same group all the way through. The, the names may have changed, but the quality of baseball has been pretty consistent. It's been interesting for me to watch back home here. I mean, do you feel like the moment might be a little too large for the for this Orioles team right now? I mean, are they starting to look at themselves and think, are we as good as everybody else thought we were, or is this Rays team just a little bit better? Are we too young? What do you think? I think it's too early to make that judgment. You know, I think if they lose seven or eight in a row and they get swept in this series, then you can make that assessment. But what they lost yesterday was probably a matchup that favored the Rays considerably, and the game before that was a one-run game. Uh, we haven't got into a close game where Baltimore has a lead, so we haven't seen how their bullpen shakes out without Felix Bautista. We know they've been good without him, but they really haven't had many close games, and they really haven't faced adversity this year. I mean, other than Bautista's injury, you look at the group, they haven't lost four games in a row, uh, but twice, and the last time they lost five in a row was before Adley Rushman got called up last year. So it's been a while since they've had any, so I, I don't know that I would say the moment is too big you know i think all year they've been good i think these are two really good ball clubs i think they're the two best teams in the american league and regardless of how this turns out i think they're going to meet again in the postseason what you'd see from zach eflin last night neil he was unbelievable took a no hitter into the sixth i mean he really has been worth every penny if if not uh, a bargain for the rays this season He's been terrific. You know, you're probably going to have, an, and Andy and, and Dave in the, in the day used to talk about this, if a starter makes 30 starts a year, he's going to have 10 outings where he feels great, 10 outings where he feels good, and then probably 10 where he really has to battle. And yesterday was an outing where he felt great, and he would really throw the ball where he wanted to at any point at any time. And, and for me, uh, that was one of those and probably one of the best outings he's had just in terms of the overall stuff. So, uh, you know, I thought... On a day like that, against a lineup like that, it was much needed. And it also was needed because it saved the bullpen. The bullpen, you're playing 17 straight without an off day. And, you know, you had to use your four primary relievers the day before. You, you gave them a rest where they didn't have to pick up their arm and even throw a baseball during the game. That's huge going into today and tomorrow. Let's talk about that bullpen. They've now gone 36 consecutive innings without allowing an earned run. 37 and two-thirds innings is the record, which was set late in the 2011 season. The Rays could break that record tonight, and they are getting contributions from everybody. Jake Diekman, he allowed a couple of base runners on in the eighth inning there, but then struck out the side after that. And even Chris Devensky looks like he is the guy who was an all-star, uh, what, about six years ago with the Houston Astros, but he has really started to look more like the guy who was an all-star back in 2017. What have you made of the Rays' bullpen over this stretch? Well, I, I just think they're pitching at their best. Um, you know, I, I think to get a run like you had, you have to have everybody contribute. Um, and, and by and large, they have. I think Kevin Kelly has looked sharper since he came off the injured list. Davinsky, that was really the first outing yesterday that really, really looked crisp, where he's getting the swing and miss had the dive and the changeup, and he was mixing his pitch as well, as you heard from uh, Kevin Cash next half hour in the pregame show. You know, I think beyond that, uh, I think Pete Fairbanks has been maybe as electric as we've seen him uh, in terms of the consistency over the last half dozen outings, but there were times where he was this good last year. And I think the thing that stands out most to me is they're doing it without Jason Adam. Uh, the fact that they're doing it without him, I think, speaks to what how good they can be in the postseason with him. And what about Randy Rosarena, Neil? Three more hits last night, a double in the fourth, a single in the fifth, and another single in the ninth. And then in the series opener, he had the big opposite field two-run triple. Then he had the game-winning home run against the Twins in that series finale with two outs in the ninth that broke a 4-4 tie and gave the Rays a 5-4 win. I mean, it looks like Randy is pretty locked in right now as well. Well, when he starts hitting the long ball the opposite way, then I really know he's locked in. But the fact that he was getting ex uh, an extra base hit the other way, I think his willingness to not uh, try and pull all, all the time, I think, was a step in the right direction. And even yesterday, he had another hit to right field. So I I'm hopeful that, you know, th this is a sign of what's to come because he's always been October Randy. And if he's October Randy in September, it, it means a better chance at a division title. And, and I think that's most important. I mean, the division means a lot because it means you get a, a few extra days off to set your pitching rotation, to rest and recover. 
uh, because this is going to come right down to the wire more than likely. Neil, can I get your thoughts on Harold's bat flip last night? Uh, it was epic. Uh, that was two stories high, right? I mean, <laughs> it, the skip after the bat flip was pretty good, too. Uh, I, I'm amazed still at how well he comes off the bench and pinch hits. Uh, we did find out that tied the record for most pinch hits in a season for a race player. Uh, Brandon Geyer and, and Travis Lee each had 10 also. Um, he does it against different kinds of pitchers. He just has a knack for coming off the bench. And you can understand a celebration because that was – uh, a, 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 a moment where he basically put the game out of reach and changed the complexion of how you use your bullpen the rest of the way. And how about the return of Manuel Margot? We know that last night was his first game since August 14th, so it's been just over a month. He's coming back from elbow surgery, but, man, did he have an immediate impact, a double in the second, RBI single in the fourth, RBI double in the sixth, put the ball in play in the eighth, but he looked like he hadn't missed a beat, and not only that, he looked like the Manuel Margot from last season. Yeah, I hope that's the case. You know, I don't want to take more too much out of one game, but uh, he had, what, four hits in his two games in Durham, and you're always wondering, okay, he's doing it against AAA pitching. How's he going to fare against, you know, uh, uh, big league pitching? And tonight is going to be the ultimate test because you're facing Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, but, you know, I do think that uh, having, uh, you know, him produce like that means a lot to this group because more than anything, it, it you know lengthens out the lineup. And the Rays are going to need contributions up and down to get where they want to go in September and October. Let's talk about the playoff clinching scenarios we have tonight, Neil. The Rays can get in with a win, and what else? So a Texas loss or a Seattle loss. Uh, obviously, if it's a Seattle loss, they're playing at, at 940 tonight. Uh, you're not going to have uh, knowledge about it until after midnight. Uh, if it's Texas and they're playing at Cleveland and they started before us, uh, then there's a chance to celebrate this evening. So you need a couple scenarios right now. What, Texas and Cleveland are still scoreless in the second. We'll see how that plays out overall. But uh, fingers crossed. Uh, it would be, I, I would think, a moderate celebration because you don't want to celebrate in front of Baltimore when you're fighting with them for the division title. So I, I would think that anything that they do tonight, if they do it tonight, would be very muted uh, because of, again, what matters down the stretch here. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Neil. We appreciate it, and have a great call tonight. Hopefully the Rays will be in first place all by themselves for the first time in a long while. I'm all for that. Thanks again for having me on, Chris. Anytime. And we certainly appreciate Neil Solon's time on This Week in Rays Baseball. We also want to thank our other guests on the show today, including Rays reliever Colin Poche for sharing his experience undergoing multiple Tommy John surgeries, Peter Bendix for taking a few minutes to provide us with a midseason check-in from the Rays front office, as well as Rays public address announcer Jason Lycom for telling us about his unique path from Wisconsin to Tropicana Field. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Rays Radio. Special thanks to Jason Berenger and Alex Fuse for on-site assistance, plus additional help from Derek DeBose back at our network studios, and from Andy Freed and Neil Solons, as well as Chris Miller, Becca Carney, and Parker Welch. I'm Chris Adams Wall. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.